Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio, powered by Postano. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports on a global scale. Glad you could join us this week. We're celebrating our 10th year on the air throughout 2014. Glad you could join us. Very excited to have a new sponsor on board. Sports Business Radio is now being powered by Pastano. They have partnered with us on our event in New York, the Sports PR Summit. They're now going to be partnering with us on Sports Business Radio. You'll be hearing from one of their executives today, Justin Garrity. And they're doing amazing things with social media displays at events and at venues. So we'll talk to Justin Garrity coming up on our show today. Also, what this means... We are going to be taking Sports Business Radio on the road. We're going to have a key decision maker in front of a live audience. If you're interested in hosting the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, are you a sports NBA program? Are you a sports program? Are you just someone who would love to have our show in front of your live audience? You can reach out to me at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Another guest on the show that I've wanted to have for the last few weeks, he's been a busy guy, Brian Windhorst, NBA insider for ESPN. Probably no reporter knows LeBron James better than Brian Windhorst, who's been following LeBron since he was an elementary school student in Akron. LeBron James now on his way to the Cleveland Cavaliers. If you want the inside scoop on LeBron, on Dan Gilbert, on Rich Paul, LeBron's agent, Maverick Carter, Pat Riley. What does this mean for the Heat? An extended conversation with Brian Windhorst coming up on today's show. It's a good one, so I invite you to tune in for that. I'm joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing great, and uh, man, what a fun NBA offseason it's been. (laughs) Wow, it's become like the hot stove league NBA style. Everyone talks about all the moves in Major League Baseball, but... The NBA offseason has become exciting. Some might even argue more exciting than the regular season itself. And no move bigger than LeBron James to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I will fall on the sword right now to everyone <laughs> listening, everyone following me on Twitter. I was wrong. Couldn't have been more wrong. I really thought, as I said all along, that LeBron was going to go back to Miami on at least a one-year deal. See how David Blatt did as coach. See how David Griffin did as GM. See how Andrew Wiggins developed as the number one pick before he decided to go back to Cleveland. But he stunned the world, and he's on his way back to Cleveland. And uh, again, we'll dig into that whole development with Brian Windhorst on the show today. But Griggs, were you surprised? I was too. I was was with you. I was pretty much thinking he'd go back at least for the one year, like you're saying, see how it pans out, see how the draft goes and all that. And uh, I guess we were wrong. But man, I mean, I haven't seen Twitter blow up. When when he made that announcement, it was... Twitter was awesome because it was just constant updates. And, you know, Miami Heat tweeting and everybody else tweeting. It was fun to watch. Yeah, and if you recall, John Wartime, senior 
executive editor of Sports Illustrated who's been on the show, who was at the Sports PR Summit. We literally on stage discussed such a scenario because, remember, Sports Illustrated offered their voice and a first-person account to Jason Collins when he came out as gay. And that's essentially what they did here with LeBron is they said, all right, we're going to give you our platform to make this announcement. They kept it quiet for a week, Griggs, which in this day and age and with all the people chasing that story is really a remarkable feat. There were very few people who knew what was going on. Obviously, I didn't know or else I would have been tweeting what I was doing. But the people that I was talking to who were in the inside, most people thought LeBron was going back to Miami on a one-year deal. So it was a really stunning announcement. And again, we'll dig into this whole storyline with Brian Whithorse coming up on our show today. World Cup, Germany wins it. The two big winners at World Cup, in my mind, Griggs, are Germany and Adidas. Adidas had both teams in the final match. Uh, really, you know, lots of recognition for Adidas across the board, but Germany's really their team. Obviously, Adidas is world headquartered in Germany, so a big, big day for Germany and for Adidas with World Cup. Yeah, and I thought Adidas did a great job throughout the whole World Cup. I mean, you saw their presence on, you know, uniforms, you saw billboard things. I mean, I think they did a good job of selling their brand, which obviously soccer, they, they pretty much own it, and Germany's their team, and they got the victory. It was fun to watch. World Cup was great. It's always a fun. Every four years, I get psyched up for it, and this year even more so. It was just an exciting time, and I uh, was tuning in to pretty much every game I could see. Yeah, I mean, as we said on our last show, when you see sold-out crowds at Soldier Field and other large stadium venues in the United States, and they're watching a game taking place half a world away, in this case the U.S. men's national team, you can tell how much soccer has grown in this country. And I've talked to a few friends of mine who work for Major League Soccer, and obviously they were thrilled with the U.S. interest in World Cup because that helps interest in their league, in their game. And, you know, I think soccer take a, it took a huge step forward in the last few months here in the United States. We know it's the world's game. It's a global game, but it's always been a little bit slow is a viewership sport here in the United States. Lots of people play soccer. My daughter plays soccer. Kids play soccer. But not as many people view soccer. And now that is quickly changing. Yeah, I think the World Cup helps, like you're saying, with the MLS here in the United States because, I mean, I was pumped up and instantly we're, we're waiting to see the Timbers here in Portland their next couple matches and everything. I think it really does get the whole United States kind of amped up for it and uh, seeing all these various players on the U.S. team in their different cities around the nation. It's pretty cool. Speaking of soccer, I have to thank my friends at the Portland Timbers and the Portland Thorns. My daughter, nine and a half, like every other young lady in America, wanted to meet Alex Morgan, female soccer star and, uh, you know, probably the most recognizable U.S. female athlete, I would say. I can't think of anyone else. She's got over a million followers on Twitter at AlexMorgan13. She was very sweet to my daughter, and they got to take a picture together. My daughter got an autographed ball. And, you know, it kind of took me back to my youth, Griggs, when I got excited to meet an athlete. Or if you got an autograph now, I'm kind of jaded with all of that. So I see things through her eyes, but it was cool. She told me afterwards, she said, Daddy, my heart was beating really fast when Alex was walking up to me. And you know, she generally got she got excited about meeting Alex Morgan. And it was it was cool that she got to uh, wipe that off her bucket list. Yeah, and I've, I've had the privilege of meeting her, too, and she is uh, she's a great celebrity, great star, and super easy to talk to and just a fun lady and does great things for the sport and uh, not hard to look at either. 
Yeah, there were a lot of my uh, male friends that said, uh, hey, that's on my bucket list, too. <laughs> the other thing, too, about Alex Morgan that I didn't know is she's got uh, – she writes kids' books. So she's got some kids' soccer books out. So if you've got uh, a child who plays soccer, you should look for Alex Morgan's books. And uh, they seem like uh, pretty interesting. I'm definitely going to go out and get my daughter her books as well. So British Open. Rory McIlroy wins, and kind of two storylines here, Griggs. One, he wins another major. He does it with his Nike clubs. And, and you know, last year, Nike, uh, Rory had a disappointing year after switching clubs to Nike and really struggled through the year. This year, he's playing much better. And obviously, uh, he kind of ran away with this British Open, was a dominant Performance. The other storyline is that 10 years ago, in 2004, his father and two friends put down a bet that Rory McIlroy would win the British Open before the age of 26. He got that done. This was his last opportunity to win the British Open before he turns 26. And $307,000 go to Rory McIlroy's dad and his two buddies for making that bet 10 years ago. It was kind of a, an interesting bet there. Obviously, they had a lot of faith in their son. And as I tweeted out this year, it's not like Rory McIlroy's dad's looking for his next meal. His son makes a lot of money, but it's cool that he gets to put uh, a few hundred thousand dollars in his pocket. Yeah, that was a funny story. And it was interesting how it developed and became kind of a big story after the fact. And you know, talking to uh, Rory and some of the funny comments he said about it too. But yeah, it was a fun. I mean, I, I love Rory's game, and I think it's it's fun to see him start playing well with Nike. And uh, he dominated, and it was fun to watch him. And even that top three, I love Fowler, and Sergio's great, and obviously the crowd loves Sergio. And I thought he was real respectful uh, to them, and really giving them a lot of applause when he was coming up the 18. And it's fun. To, uh, I mean, that's a great open. It's fun to watch. I enjoyed every year, and and Rory got it done. He dominated. Well, you saw that the page really is turning. Tiger Woods was not a factor after shooting an opening round 69. Tiger has not really been a factor in a major in a while. He's had all kinds of injury problems. He didn't look himself. And you have to wonder, is Tiger Woods ever going to win another major? And if you look at the cast of characters that you just described, that's the future of golf. It's Roy McElroy, It's Ricky Fowler. It's Bubba Watson. It's players like that because... Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, who have carried the torch for golf for so many years in the United States, they're not going to be winning as many majors. They're not going to be winning as many tournaments. And golf needs Rory McIlroy and those other names I just mentioned to step up and take that mantle and to be exciting in the process. There's, you know, you look at VJ Singh and some of the other golfers who had success, but they were not personalities. They were not exciting. They didn't get you to tune in on Sunday to watch the final round of a tournament. So golf needs really good golfers who are doing historic things, but they also need people who have personalities and who will get the casual fan engaged like Tiger and Phil have for so many years. Yeah, it's funny. I was sitting there watching it with my son. He's seven and a half, and he, he him and Fowler, he kind of hit it off with Fowler because they had the same color shirt on. And it's funny how golf has developed as even a uniform now, not really a uniform, but the clothes they wear are targeting younger people. And I think uh, Fowler is really good at that, obviously, with Puma. But even my seven-year-old noticed it, and that was his guy. He was following Fowler for the weekend. It was kind of fun. Well, I like Ricky Fowler. He's got a great personality. I love his game. I think he's going to break through and win a major here eventually. Yep. The mustache, though. I wasn't really digging <laughs> the mustache. Between that and, you know, Lincecum's porn mustache that he was sporting when he threw his second no-hitter against the Padres a month ago. Like, 
Who told those guys that was a cool look? Yeah, I don't. That's funny too because my wife was the same way. She's like, "Oh, that is disgusting. That's got to get off his face now." <laughs> yeah, especially like when you're competing for a British Open championship. Like it just it goes against everything that the British Open is to see <laughs> you know that kind of look. But I like his game. I like his personality. He does some great stuff in the community and off the course. So. Uh, good stuff. All right. Coming up next, Justin Garrity, the senior vice president for Pistano. Again, very happy to announce that Pistano is going to be a partner with us here on Sports Business Radio. And we'll be doing some fun things with them, including taking our show on the road. Again, if you're interested in hosting uh, the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, where we bring a key decision maker from the world of sports to your venue in front of a live audience and also a Q&A period, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at sportsbusinessradio.com. That's how you can reach out to me. Also coming up on the show, Brian Windhorst, NBA insider for ESPN. No one knows LeBron better than he does. We will dig into LeBron's move to Cleveland and all of the ramifications of that. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter, so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With the goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503-701-2215. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Justin Garrity. He is the Senior Vice President of Pistano. We were lucky to have Justin at the Sports PR Summit moderating our social media panel this past May. I'm very excited to announce right now on our show that Pistano not only is a partner with Sports Business Radio, we're going to be doing some exciting things together, including taking our show on the road to sports NBA programs around the country with uh, key featured discussions with people who work in the sports industry, but also Pistano is back, is our presenting sponsor for the Sports PR Summit. Justin, welcome to Sports Business Radio. How are you? Good. Thanks, Brian. And so glad to uh, be here on the show. Thank you so much. And also... Very excited to be a partner 
And uh, with the success that we had at the PR Summit, I just look forward to everything we're going to do this year and uh, this upcoming PR Summit. Looking forward to that, too. Yeah, it's really been a terrific partnership, and uh, I'm just so impressed by what Pistano does and what you and your team do. And you know, just as an example, at our event, we were actually trending on Twitter at one point, and the conversations around our event were brought to life inside the MLB Fan Cave. If you haven't been to the MLB Fan Cave, which you probably haven't, because it's probably an exclusive place, uh, there are digital monitors everywhere and Pistano had incredible displays really engaged our participants not only at the venue but also people who were just following on Twitter got involved so it's one of the things you guys do so well it's a a really growing space isn't it Justin it is a growing space and that MLB fan cave is I've never seen anything like (laughs) it. it it is an amazing design every nook and cranny is something to like just be amazed by of how they put that together. And uh, we were so thankful to have so many digital screens throughout that experience that uh, we really tried our best to design uh, social content that was on display live during the, uh, the summit uh, that would fit the look and feel of that cave. And uh, we're so excited to, to work in that space. So for people who aren't familiar with Pistano, give them a synopsis of what your company does. Yeah, I think, you know, um, so Pistano is, is all about uh, fans. If there are fans out there, if you're a team, if you're a product company and you've got fans, people that really love what you do and love to share uh, their uh, passion for it and their experiences on social networks, Pistano is all about taking that passion, taking those things that they write about and, and basically putting that up uh, on display, whether it's on a website or in a physical space like uh, the MLB Fan Cave, and we believe that essentially every fan has a story. So um, uh, if, if they can get that story up there and it, and it syncs up with your brand, it's perfect. Um, so, it, so that's how Persona works is by taking the very best stories that fans share, a lot of times through a hashtag, and we're able to activate them through some kind of visualization of, of their uh, shared content uh, up on a screen in a website, and then that just amplifies like what you saw at the MLB uh, fan cave. It, it starts to trend and things like that because people love to see their content as part of the experience up on the screen. Yeah, so for example, at the Sports PR Summit, we used the hashtag Sports PR Summit, and again, that was trending during our event, and uh, you know, Instagram, Twitter, all the conversations that were taking place were aggregated on the digital displays at the MLB Fan Cave due to Pistano's technologies. And everyone there was so impressed. It was funny as someone who was on stage interviewing some of the participants, uh, and you probably saw this as well because you were on stage, but I found people glancing over my shoulder during the conversations to see what the tweets were, what the pictures that were being posted on Instagram. They were fascinated by the conversation going on beyond the stage. Yeah, and I think that's um, that's something that we really try hard to do. You know, we really spend a lot of time and effort trying to make that look great. So the last thing we want to do is distract people. But as you said, you, you find yourself compelled to look at some of those statements coming from social because they're part of the conversation. That's what people are writing down uh, or typing out on their phones and, and sharing social networks, responding to you, what you're saying live, what your guests are saying live. And to be able to see that treated in a very well-designed uh, uh, way 
up on the stage as well. It now is bringing that digital experience into the physical experience and blending those two worlds. And when they come together in just the right way, it is a phenomenal experience. Dustin Garrity, Senior Vice President of Pastano, is my guest. You can find Pastano on Twitter at Pastano. That's P-O-S-T-A-N-O. So, Justin, you've done work with the Boston Red Sox, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and many other sports organizations. What's some of the latest work that you're doing right now? Yeah, one of our, our most exci- uh, one of the clients we're most excited about is the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, we love all our clients, but it's, it's a privilege to work with the Dallas Cowboys. And I think for us, it's ex- extremely exciting because they have like the biggest screen ever in the world above their stadium. <laughs> no kidding. So to be able to, to be able to put uh, social visualizations up on that screen is just phenomenal. Uh, we worked with them uh, preseason now in the Cowboys draft uh, hashtag. So it was hashtag Cowboys draft. Uh, we we basically visualized uh, people's comments and and their photos up on that large screen, and that started trending itself in the United States. So. A uh, huge win for them, and uh, and they've done some incredible visualizations there, including some of our new uh, styles, like our photo mosaic, where we can take a large photo uh, of, let's say, uh, somebody catching a pass or, or just a great sports photo, and, and basically make the whole photo on that large screen uh, made up of individual selfies and other kind of uh, uh, pictures that people are sharing on social media. And it's all animated. It looks incredible. And it's a great way for fans to see their content uh, part of the Cowboys brand. Really great stuff. So in addition to sports franchises and events like the Sports PR Summit, you also work with brands. You work with other events. You work with a variety of different clients, right? We do. We work essentially, like I said earlier, we work with anyone that has fans. And, you know, whether it's a sports team that you follow, the car that you drive, the jeans that you wear, um, you know, the smartphone that you use, anything where you are likely to share content about these things in your life that you're that you care about, uh, those are our perfect clients. Those are companies where uh, if they have fans and they're actively sharing content, and uh, through these the hashtags and other campaigns, we can bring in user-generated content right into right into their marketing, and and it works great. Just a few minutes left with Justin Garrity, the Senior Vice President for Pistano. So as the moderator of our social media panel at the Sports PR Summit, what were some of your takeaways? You had a, you know, the PGA Tour up there. You had NASCAR, a pretty yeah. wide variety of properties that were on the stage with you. Yeah, I think, you know, what I learned there was, um, one, that each sport is different. You know, they don't, there's not one uh, rule that if you follow this, this basic set of rules on social media for, for a sport or for a brand, it's going to work for everybody. You really had differences of what worked for them. Uh, you know, some of the highlights were in, in golf, just because of the way that the game is played, there are a lot of different opportunities along the way throughout the, the, the game that, um, uh, you can bring in social, uh, live at the, uh, at the course and things like that. Whereas something else like soccer, where it's just continuous play, you do have to have a different strategy. Um, and the other thing I learned, too, was um, uh, just the idea of having visualizations internal are really important to see what people are saying. And so you have somebody like NASCAR with the command center. They really can keep up on what's happening live uh, during events uh, by visualizing it in, for the internal team. And that's, that's something that we offer as a command center product, and, and that really does keep uh, teams engaged with what 
people are saying, what fans are saying live on social networks throughout the game. Yeah, I thought it was interesting what Lauren Teague from the PGA Tour said that, what was it, like 1%, 2% of all the shots that you see on TV, it's a very small percentage. So what they have to do is is activate what else is going on around the course via social media. I thought that was a pretty interesting observation. Yeah, that's right. They, you know, they're using social uh, to essentially kind of redesign the, the the way that you observe the game, and it's an active part of what's happening. So not only are you watching the shots on TV and following the game if you're there in person, you're also having a, a very interactive social experience throughout that in between uh, uh, those events. So we've seen the success of Twitter. We've seen the success of Instagram. Are there any other social technologies that are on the horizon that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, I think uh, so. A couple ones. Uh, we work actively right now uh, in incorporating Weibo content from uh, from China. So a lot of our brands that have an Asian presence, we're we're working actively with with them. And I think through an event like the World Cup. Uh, in sports, you see a lot of international audience participation, and so networks like Weibo are really important to start incorporating. I think another one, and we don't work with them directly, uh, is Snapchat, and you definitely see a lot of um, uh, interesting kind of experiments and, and things happening with Snapchat. Uh, definitely with um, with Instagram, uh, very dominant. That is that is a way that uh, many fans share share their photos and share their uh, visual communication. And Twitter really still uh, uh, dominates on uh, on just short messages. Um, another area we're talking to is, is Facebook on their check-ins. And so uh, the ability to, when you're at an event, use Facebook to broadcast out that you're at the event and, and, and tell your community where you're at and, and what game you're at and kind of what you're up to, that's becoming very popular. Well, Justin, I'm so excited that you're going to be a partner with us on Sports Business Radio. Also, very excited that you're going to be returning as the presenting sponsor of the 2015 Sports PR Summit next May at the MLB Fan Cave. Really enjoy our partnership. You can learn more about Pastano by going online to Pastano.com. That's P-O-S-T-A-N-O.com. Follow them on Twitter at Pastano. You can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin O. Garrity, and that's Garrity with two R's. Justin, thanks again for joining me on Sports Business Radio, and I look forward to continuing our partnerships. Brian, thanks so much. And again, uh, such a great uh, uh, privilege to be a partner and a sponsor. We, we love working with you and your team. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SB Radio. Powered by Postano. Sophia Berger. I want to tell you about the Pixie Project. The Pixie Project matches pets to the right people. The Pixie Project takes pride in finding matches for both people and animals. The Pixie Project also offers low-cost veterinary assistance. My family worked with the Pixie Project to adopt our lovable puppy, Scotty. He's a great addition to our family. So if you get a dog or cat, kitten or puppy, you should go to the Pixie Project. To learn more about the Pixie Project, visit them at www.pixieproject.org. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Brian Windhorse. He is the NBA insider for ESPN. You can find him on Twitter at Windhorst ESPN. We've been friends for a long time, uh, have gotten to know each other over the years. Brian, welcome to Sports Business Radio. 
Hey, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. First of all, terrific job with covering NBA free agency. Uh, I'm sure you didn't get much sleep, but uh, I thought you really did an excellent job on ESPN. And you know, I know it's hard because uh, so many people uh, are left to speculate, but I thought you did a great job. You just really relayed the facts and you didn't speculate. And, and I thought you've done a fantastic job on ESPN. Yeah, well, this is um, – and free agent season in my profession is also lying season. <laughs> and um, no matter how how diligent you are, you're going to be, to a certain extent, used. Because in this in this case, when you're dealing with, with teams, players, and agents, it's very hard to get the whole picture. And so um, it's a big challenge. And, you know, I, you know, in journalism school, they would say, well, go talk to side A, get their – opinion and then go talk to side B and then you can form the um, objective vision down the middle. Well, in a lot of cases, in fact, in the overwhelming majority of cases, you're not getting side A and side B. And sometimes side A is just, you know, trying to, um, you know, it's just lying to you and you have to just use your instincts. So it is a very big challenge. Um, uh, you know, it's not as big of a challenge as, you know, covering the war in Israel. It's not as big of a challenge as, um, you know, certain things. I, mean, I don't want to make it sound, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like it's the hardest thing in journalism. But in in working and covering the NBA, dealing with free agency is the most challenging thing that that we do. And um, you know, the fans, meanwhile, have never been more interested in it. There's this fascination and unquenchable thirst for information about transactions in the league. And so, you know. You have to try to meet the demand as responsibly as possible, and sometimes you hit it on the mark, and sometimes you whiff, and you have to move on. So it's definitely a time of year that I know a lot of people look forward to, and for those of us who work in the business, we just can't wait for it to be over. So let's give some context and background to this conversation. Uh, you have been covering LeBron James since he was in elementary school. If there's anyone on planet Earth who knows the history of LeBron James, it's you. Uh, you and I met because I've done a lot of work for Nike over the years. I used to run the PR around their AAU teams and their Nike All-America basketball camps, and we've had several conversations about the inner workings of, of that whole world. So uh, that's a little bit of context to this conversation. So the first question I'll ask you is, you know, I have to eat crow on, on Twitter and on this radio show because I said there was no way that LeBron was leaving Miami. I thought he'd go back on a short one to two year deal, see how things unfolded in Cleveland. I saw him going there eventually. I didn't see him going there now. Did this surprise you? Yeah, when he actually said, I'm going to Cleveland, I was surprised. Um, I think a year ago at this time, I did think there was a good, there was a, a reasonable chance that LeBron would be back in Cleveland because I felt the Heat's, um, uh, you know, that little dynasty was being choked off both by age and by rules in the new collective bargaining agreement. Um, I wrote all about how I thought the waving of Mike Miller was a catastrophic decision at the time. Mm hmm. Um, so much so that I got a lot of heat from the uh, Heat organization who thought I was overblowing it. Um, and uh, I felt that the Cavs were positioned to to have a terrific season and uh, also have salary cap space. And I was projecting that the momentum of the Cavs season and what I thought was the falling star of the Heat would potentially lure LeBron. 
But that's not what happened. What happened was almost all of the Cavs' moves that they made failed. They had a bad season. They ended up firing their GM and coach and were in general disarray. And the Heat, despite not being as good as they've been the last few years, put together a solid year, were able to return to the finals. And two games into the finals, I thought they had a great chance to win. And so I always felt like Cleveland was out there, but I felt like, and I still to this day, feel like that him going back to the Heat on a one-year deal was a better chance for him to win another title than going to Cleveland. I felt that the Cavs had terrific upward mobility. I really liked their future, but I don't, I'm not completely in love with their present. And so when he decided to make the move now, I was, I was a little bit surprised. It, and it really was um, him going a different direction than he had been talking about. You know, he had been talking about wanting to be on the Mount Rushmore, wanting to be, you know, the level of Jordan and those guys. And to do that, you need numbers. You need titles upon titles. Um, that's just the way it is, and he knows that. And so I really think that winning a single title in Cleveland will be an incredible accomplishment in his career just because of the challenges that he's going to have in getting that team there. And I just don't know if he can get the numbers. Maybe he will. Maybe this team will um, – will uh you know mature beautifully and Wiggins will turn into an all-star and he Kyrie and Wiggins will be a terrific uh trio and this will be the beginning of a new dynasty for him but this is way more speculative than the situation he went to in Miami where you could really see where they were going to go so um I definitely was surprised by him taking the, the action now this is probably an easy answer but would you agree with me that if LeBron doesn't cramp up in the finals the Heat go on and win the NBA Finals. They've now won three in a row. LeBron's not going back to Cleveland, is he? No. I mean, this is like something that's going on right now is, you know, not publicly, but behind the scenes, the Heat are grumbling a little bit that LeBron had this planned for a while, and including before the playoffs. And it, it's reminiscent to me of what was going on in Cleveland um, when when he left for Miami. You know, the Cavs grumbled privately and, even uh, attempted to investigate tampering, thinking that LeBron and Wade and Bosch had this planned out way in advance. Um, there's just no way that that's true, and you just explained it very simply. If the Heat win, and frankly, you know, it was 1-1, cramp game or not, 1-1, he had to really like their chances. Right. You know, LeBron had, was the best player in game two. They had home court advantage. They'd been terrific at home. Um, and, uh, you know, no, no, there's no, nobody in sports history of their own volition has ever walked away from trying to repeat. Now, now numerous people have retired. Jordan retired twice. Um, John Elway famously retired. Other players have not been re-signed by their teams, but nobody, when they have their druthers, uh, and they want to continue to play, Nobody is not going to defend their title. It's just not a natural way of going. So absolutely, if the Heat win the title, if they win those three more games, LeBron is going to go try to four-peat. In fact, I would, I would guess that none of those guys would have even opted out of their contract. I think they'd probably all stay in and just roll everything over for another year. Uh, it would have been an extreme challenge with the age of that team. Um, but, you know, not even Jordan or Kobe have ever four-peated. So absolutely, he would have come back. And so... I don't honestly believe he seriously considered leaving until after the finals were over and he looked at all of his options. My guest is Brian Windhorst. You can find him on Twitter at Windhorst ESPN. 
So here's my theory, and I can run this by you because, again, you know LeBron and his history as well as anyone. My theory on this, Brian, is that LeBron didn't want to be accountable to the people in Miami anymore. In Miami, he had to be accountable to Pat Riley, to Eric Spolstra. In Miami, the plane couldn't stick around in New York for an extra few days so he could hang out with Jay-Z and Beyonce. In Cleveland, he and Rich Paul and Maverick Carter, they own the town. Dan Gilbert knows that LeBron is the goose that lays the golden egg. He will hand over the keys and say, LeBron, whatever you want. You can be GM. You can keep the plane in New York for a few extra days, whatever you want. And LeBron liked that scenario a lot better. Would you agree with that assessment? I do think that there were some positives for LeBron, that that his family would feel more comfortable um, with him playing with the Cavs and the Heat, but I do not believe that was the determining factor. Just as I do not believe that Pat Riley's speech was the determining factor, um, I think there were many different events on the timeline that uh, you could point to, but I think it was just uh, an overwhelming desire that he wanted to play and live full-time in Akron more than anything. Um, Because actually over the years, as you would expect, LeBron has gotten a stronger and stronger grip on the Heat. Um, Yes, there used to be a rule when he got there, a Pat Riley rule, that um, the plane would always leave after, no no matter the situation. I don't care if there was... um, there was four days off in Miami or, or, or you know, or in L.A., and the next game was in uh, Utah. They would go to Utah. Um, you know, they had a rule. And slowly that changed. Slowly the plane started sticking around in L.A. and sticking around in other cities. And um, they started to allow LeBron, LeBron's uh, friends and family access to areas that normally were off limits. They weren't as accommodating as many other teams are. And I do think that one of the things that people say is, well, the Cavs are way more accommodating to to the family, and that's a huge advantage. You know, the San Antonio Spurs are extremely um, accommodating to families. For example, the Spurs allow family members to fly on the team plane. Um, the, the, the players have to pay for it because otherwise it's a salary cap violation. Um, but I'm sure they're not charging them $5,000 a person. I'm sure they're charging them, you know, what regular airplane fare would be. And so nobody would look at the Spurs and say they're, um, you know, breaking any rules or do, doing things poorly. The Heat are a little bit, you know, exclusive when it comes to the team. But, um, and the Cavs are more inclusive. But look, Gloria James was permitted to stand in the tunnel and kiss the players as they went to the, to the, half, to, to the halftime locker room. I guarantee you nobody else was allowed to do that. So I, uh, while I do think that, you know, in the, uh, in the array of things LeBron was considering that was in there, I don't think it was a determining factor. I just think LeBron really wanted to live and work at home. And the timing of this ended up working out in the Cavs' favor, just as the timing of a lot of things worked against the Cavs four years ago. There's no question that Rich Paul and Maverick Carter are more powerful with LeBron in Cleveland than they were with LeBron in Miami. Uh, what is their role going forward? I mean, Rich Paul just brought the prodigal son home, and Johnny Manziel is in Cleveland, and there's some real powerful opportunities going forward in Cleveland for LeBron and LRMR and Maverick Carter and Rich Paul. How do you see that all playing out? 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that LRMR, despite um, obviously if you're going to run an agency, a marketing agency like LRMR, or you're going to run a player representation agency like Clutch Sports, which is Rich Paul's company, it makes more sense to operate it in Miami. Players like to come to Miami. You can recruit and entertain in Miami. Um, it's a more a lot of people feel it's a more desirable place to live. Um, but they didn't. LRMR never left Ohio. It relocated from Cleveland to Akron. LRMR recruited Johnny Manziel uh, as a as a Cleveland or an Akron-based company before Manziel was going to uh, to New York or to uh, Cleveland. And they got him various sponsorship deals with Nike and Nissan and Snickers through LRMR. Not you know nothing to do with location. And Rich Paul based his company in Cleveland. And I think it just, you know, just showed that those guys, despite the fact that they were in Miami all the time and they had residences in Miami, um, they preferred to live in Akron and Cleveland uh, when they could. And I think that is a window to the way LeBron feels. Um, as much as LeBron enjoyed his mansion in uh, South Florida, in Coconut Grove, it's a wonderful area, um, he really only felt maximally at home in Akron. And I know that that sounds weird for people in a vacuum who can't understand it, but yes, there are people that exist in this world who would prefer to live in Akron, Ohio than Miami, Florida. And probably not if you're from Miami, you would think it's miserable. But if you were born and raised in Akron and got used to living through the falls and winters and springs, there are situations where you would prefer to live that way. And, um, you know, I think Rich and Maverick uh, proved that you could have successful businesses in the NBA based out of Ohio. And LeBron, um, I think, matched their sensibilities. I think they all felt the same way. They all loved where they were from. And the more time LeBron spent in Miami and the more time Maverick and Rich spent in Miami, certainly they enjoyed the life down there. There was no doubt about that. They enjoyed the fruits of, of being a famous wealthy people in Florida, in South Florida. But the more time they spent there, the more they realized how much they missed home. And, you know, I can relate to this on a very small level. I lived in Miami for two years after living my entire life in, um, in Akron and Cleveland. And I am, no, I am not like LeBron at all. Uh, you know, I'm not a multimillionaire. I do not frequent clubs. I do not drive Maseratis <laughs> and Ferraris. Um, but, um, I did not overall enjoy living in Miami. Yes, it was gorgeous in the winter. It was incredible to walk outside to a 77 degree day on February 3rd. That was incredible. But, uh, I did miss, and I don't live in Ohio now. I live in New York, but I did m miss the North. And after two years there, I moved back and the winter comes and goes in New York and I deal with it and I, and I, it doesn't bother me one bit. So, there are people who prefer to live uh, where they're from as opposed to Miami. And I think that that is what this whole thing showed. And three of them happen to be LeBron, Maverick, and Rich Paul. So, again, you've been around LeBron since he was in elementary school. I've certainly been around LeBron, not as much as you have. Here's my take on LeBron, and I think he has grown up. And you get no argument for me that he's one of the top 10 basketball players who ever played in the NBA. To me, he is one of the most manipulative athletes that I've ever watched. And again, I've watched him operate in person. This is not hearsay. 
Um, since the time he was in grade school, he has been chased by sneaker companies and people have kissed his rear because they want something from him. He fully knows that. And whether it's that process of signing with a sneaker company, whether it was the process of the decision, whether it was this free agency process, he seems to be a guy that enjoys manipulating the process as much as any human being I've ever seen. Is that fair or is that unfair to say? Yeah, I think when you use the word manipulating, it has a sinister connotation. Um, but I think he has has genuinely been able to maximize um, himself. Uh, when you look at the shoe deal, for example, he took advantage of a situation where he had three shoe companies chasing him right. and offering, and the stakes kept going and going and going. And, um, you know, in his situation, Adidas, for example, was with him, was the first company to embrace him, um, uh, nurtured him, had people around him that supported him through his high school years. Um, he got, uh, he got into making the deal, you know, after a three year, you know, relationship with Adidas and Sonny Vaccaro, who few people have ever been able to reach him the way Sonny did. And Adidas didn't even make the final cut. <laughs> Adidas didn't even get to the, to the finish line. It was down to Reebok and Nike. And so I think right there, you see, even at age 18, um, uh, it was, you know, he had the ability to take sen- sentimentality out of it. And, um, you know, even going back to when he was 14 years old, um, everybody in his neighborhood expected him to go to the local public school, uh, which was a basketball power at the time. And he did not do that. He, um, he went to the private school, which in a lot of ways, uh, upset people in his, uh, in his neighborhood. Um, and, you know, all the way forward to leaving the Cavs and then now leaving the Heat. So, um, I think he is not afraid to be ruthless when it comes to big decisions. Um, and trust me, it may not seem like a lot, but when you're 14 years old and everybody in your community is excited about you going to the local high school and you, and you say that you're not doing it, you're going to the wealthier, uh, more exclusive private school, as he did, that was a huge deal in that little community. It may only have been a big deal in those, you know, uh, 30 square blocks, but that was his whole world at the time. And, um, you know, the backlash that he got from that was, was strong just as the backlash he got uh, it was just on a much wider scale when he left Cleveland. So I think he has always been willing to go against the grain and make up what he feels is his own mind. Um, and he's, he's most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time has gotten what he feels is the best deal in doing so. So if you want to refer to that as manipulative, I guess you can. Um, I also feel like he has at times in his life been a free agent, whether it was a a free agent on where to go to school, a free agent with what to wear on his feet, or a free agent of where to play basketball. And he has definitely put the free into that uh, phrase. The one area I've had a lot of respect for LeBron over the years with is how he's handled his business with his family. And, you know, a lot of people may not know this. I know you know this, but there's athletes like Amari Stoudemire with his mom. And, and I put LeBron in this category with his mom. He had to grow up a lot sooner than a lot of other people. A, because of all of the exposure and publicity he was getting and the big decisions he needed to make that we just discussed. But B, he had to take care of business at home because, you know, I won't go into a lot of details, but there were, there were things going on at home. So when I saw him go to Miami, Brian, one of the things I first thought of was, you know what, he's finally getting out of kind of that circus, that family circus, and he's going away 
to a place where he's got his own space. He can have his own family. He can do his own thing. Now he's going back to that environment. What's changed in four years? Good question. You know, I do think that he is a completely different um, man from a family standpoint now is when he left. Um, you know, when he left, he was not married, even though he had had two two children with uh, his longtime girlfriend. Um, uh, her family, she and the two boys did not move to Miami right away. And you can um, draw your own conclusions from that. Um, and he subsequently decided that it was important to get married and to um, to become, to be more dedicated to his family and be more uh, involved in his son's lives. So much to the point where he made a deal that I don't know if any of us would have made. I mean, he, um, he when his girlfriend, now his wife, moved to Miami, he had her parents come and move in with them. Now, you just think, you know, one year you'll, you know, you have a girlfriend and, and two kids in Akron, Ohio, but you're living and working as the biggest star in Miami, Florida, okay? And the next year they're all living with you and her parents are as well. So just think about how that negotiation went. Wow. Um, and But I think it was because he realized that he needed to be around his family. So now they have a, a third child on the way, um, and I think he is – you know, we, we, I will never know everything that goes on with LeBron. He, nobody ever will. You know, that's those, a lot of those are private anyway. But, um, you know, he has become more dedicated to being a family man and a leader of the family than he was when he left. And so he is a different guy who is going back. Now, um, I do think that he has also learned over the years. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time now. You know, he's, he's now played 11 years in the NBA and he's really been nationally famous, I would say, for 13 years or so. Right. Um, he, he, you know, I think he has learned how to handle it. Now, it doesn't mean he won't make mistakes in the future, but those people who were around in in Cleveland all made their way down to Miami. You know, there's flights, there's airplanes that go between the two. Um, it was it was routine to see some of the same people in his extended family at games in Miami as there was in Cleveland. I don't think it's going to be an issue. And a big part of it is I think he's matured a lot since, uh, since 2010. So let's talk about the Miami heat for a moment. They are now left with, you know, they spent what, $215 million kind of reshaping their roster. They had to sign Bosch to a max deal. They didn't have to, but he probably would have gone to Houston unless they overpaid him in, in Miami. Uh, Dwayne Wade left money on the table, but he's, back again they've got Luol Dang and uh, Josh McRoberts some other people what happens to Miami from here on out yeah I think um, you know the Heat did a really good job of, of keeping their team afloat I think if you if you look at the teams that um, have lost superstars in the last five years as we've seen superstars walk away look at what happened to the Cavs when LeBron left look at what happened to the Raptors when Chris Bosh left Look at the Magic when Dwight Howard left. Look at the Hornets, now Pelicans, when Chris Paul left. Those teams have largely been, um, you know, holes. Um, The Cavs have made the playoffs. The Raptors made it once. The Magic have not made the playoffs, and I don't believe the Hornets have made the playoffs. Um, And even the Phoenix Suns, after Amari Stoudemire left, um, uh, you know, they have not been back to the playoffs, I don't think. I'd have to double-check that, but I don't think they have been. So, the way the Heat were able to keep uh, Bosch on the roster to recover strongly 
and then add Luol Deng at a really a, a discount number. Luol Deng was asking for a lot more money. He may not have gotten it elsewhere, but you know the Heat were able to take advantage of him dropping his price. Um, they now have a team that I do believe will have a good chance to be a top four team, depending on how well Dwayne Wade plays. Now it's an interesting decision. You know, they basically increased their offer to Chris Bosh by thirty million dollars. Um, uh, well, I shouldn't say they increased their offer, but they, you know, they offered Bosh thirty million dollars more than he was being offered elsewhere within minutes of LeBron um, committing to the Cavs, and that was an interesting decision. And they made that decision because they have a thirty-two-year-old Dwayne Wade, and they do not want to rebuild, uh, go through a long process. I question whether that'll be end up being a good decision or not. But certainly in the short term here, they're going to have a competitive team. And, and in two years, they should have enormous amount of cap space when some really attractive free agents come to market. And they're always going to be a free agent destination. They were a free agent destination within two days of LeBron leaving because they were able to get Luol Deng. So I think the Heat rebounded nicely. Um, I don't think that they're a championship, serious championship contender anymore. You never know what will happen, especially in the East. Um but I think that they showed why they've been able to generally be um, a competitive team ever since Pat Riley got there, and that you know they they, they manipulated the cap very well. Um, they were able to take advantage of some of some um, some things that they have in their favor, and they you know made some made some long term deals and paid off some long term deals. And what I mean by that is, um, in the last couple of years, they they kept guys like Chris Anderson on cheap contracts with the promise they would take care of him later. And they're taking care of him now with a two-year, $10 million deal. Um, and that trust of we'll take care of you later gets things like Dwayne Wade willing to only take a two-year deal and stuff like that. So I think overall they're a very well-run organization, um, and they will continue to be a well-run organization. Um, they do not uh, operate the same as many other teams, and that has its advantages and disadvantages, but generally they um, you know, are going to be in good position. Mickey Arison has been grooming his son, Nick, for the last few years. Pat Riley, obviously not getting any younger. We know that uh, Eric Spolster has been given more say and responsibility around the roster. At what point do you see Mickey Arison and Pat Riley riding off into the sunset? Well, as recently as a year ago, I know that that Pat Riley had told people, listen, I'm going to ride this out with LeBron, and and then I'm going to retire. Uh, certainly he didn't feel it was going to go this way. Certainly he felt like it was going to hopefully be a couple of more titles and more of a natural end as opposed to the abrupt end. Um, I actually thought there was a, there was a possibility that Pat Riley might retire when LeBron left, but he embraced the challenge and I think at least intends to stay around. Um, and he, you know, right away was able to secure Luol Dang, uh, and Bosch. So that was showed you he hadn't lost his touch. And, um, but the question is really going to be, I mean, Pat, Eric Spolstra wants uh, a role like Pat has. He wants to succeed Pat as team president, you know, who, who runs the, the basketball operations and also coaches the team. And we're seeing all kinds of people in the league doing that. Uh, his former colleague, Stan Van Gundy, um, Doc Rivers, uh, you know, uh, Eric Spolster has more titles won than Doc Rivers does. Uh, Flip Saunders controls the entire operation in Minnesota, for example. So I think Eric Spolster wants to succeed Pat Riley. Meanwhile, as you mentioned, Nick Arison has slowly and methodically learned every single level of the business. He work, He's worked in everything from adverti- uh, in, from corporate promotions to uh, ticketing to now basketball operations. And I think Nick Arison is, is priming himself 
to take over that part of the team. Nick Harrison already owns a percentage of the team himself, not just because his father is the majority owner, but because he actually bought a piece of the team a few years ago with his own, you know, inheritance, I would assume. And um, so he is a full partner in the team. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens when Pat Riley does step away, whether Eric Spolster gets the power or Nick Harrison does. But um, I think one of the things you're going to see in Miami is they have a succession plan in place. So many places don't have that. Um, even the even the San Antonio Spurs, um, they don't have a succession plan really in place for Greg Popovich. We thought they you know that they did with Budenholzer and, and Brett Brown possibly taking over. Those guys got tired of waiting and they left. Uh, in Miami, it's very clear. Um, they've got succession in place. Like I said, it's a very well-run organization. Just a few minutes left with NBA insider Brian Windhorst. You can find him on Twitter at Windhorst ESPN. How surprised were you that LeBron and Dan Gilbert buried the hatchet supposedly in a meeting in Florida? Or do you think that that conversation, the groundwork for that conversation was laid earlier when LeBron traveled to Cleveland for his former teammate uh, Big Z's retirement? I think the groundwork was laid by Rich Paul. Uh, Rich Paul never... Uh, gave up his relationship with Dan Gilbert, mostly because it was, it, you know, you, as an agent, you can't burn bridges. It doesn't, it's not good business. And so over the last uh, three years, they've had a client, um, uh, Tristan Thompson, uh, number four overall pick that the Cavs had, you know, so Rich was in Cleveland at games with the organization and he never let the relationship sour. Um, and so I think it was Rich Paul that, that, that built the, um, you know, the groundwork for the two of those guys to get together. Um, I don't think, uh, while they basically had to apologize to each other uh, for what they did back in 2010, I do believe that they're, they are both going to eye each other carefully. Um, and, I, and I don't believe that LeBron has complete and total trust of Dan Gilbert, and I'm sure Dan Gilbert doesn't yet have complete and total trust for LeBron. Um, I think that's natural, and I think that's probably – always going to be the case between any player and ownership, no matter who you are, short of, you know, a situation you have like um, in Dallas with uh, Dirk Nowitzki and Mark Cuban. I mean, this is exceedingly, exceedingly rare. Uh, and even to a certain extent with Dwayne Wade and Mickey Harrison, very rare. And so I think that they will be cautious of each other. And I think they will have moved on being uh, once bitten, twice shy a little bit. But I do think that, that Rich Paul is the guy that made all of that really possible. So thus the short-term deal by LeBron with Cleveland putting Dan Gilbert on notice that I'm watching you. Yeah, I think that LeBron would have done a short deal with any team because I think he's got his his eye towards the future. That's one of the things that he's done over his last, you know, not just going back to Cleveland, but signing that contract and setting himself up in a way to get paid maximum money um, and also potentially taking advantage if the salary cap jumps or if, the maximum salary is adjusted in the next CBA. I mean, if the max, you don't want to be stuck in a long-term contract if the maximum salary all of a sudden goes away or is vastly increased. So I think LeBron is thinking financially with that deal. But I also think um, there is a value in keeping any owner on his toes. You know, um, for example, uh, if if Mickey Arison honestly believed there was a possibility that LeBron would walk and potentially damage his franchise a year ago. I guarantee you he would not have amnestied Mike Miller, even though it saved $17 million at the mm. time. It was a, it was a, over the long haul, a, a poor decision. And, you know, I don't think he realized it. I don't think he did it negligently. 
I just think that, you know, he didn't see the whole field. And so now every time the Cavs make a big decision, um, they will do it knowing that LeBron can, can and will uh, be a free agent within the next year. And so that gives LeBron maximum power. And if you can't have the money that you think you're worth, I mean, let's be honest, even at 40 or $50 million a year, LeBron would probably be a little underpaid. If you can't have that money, you, you have to find other ways to create value. One of the ways to create value is to have a flexible contract so that if anything changes, you can get out. And another thing is to have power. And beyond that, that money that he makes, to have the power to enforce the organization to do what he wants, it has, you know, adds something to that contract. And so what he doesn't get in money, even at $21 million a year, he makes up for in flexibility and, and power in this deal. So that's my concern. If I'm Kevin Love and LeBron calls me and says, "Hey, come play with me in Cleveland," if I'm Kevin Love, I'm like, "Well, you're on a on a one to two year deal. Why am I going to come commit to the long term in Cleveland when there's a chance you may not be there? You haven't done the same thing you're asking me to do." I would agree, and and I think honestly, if LeBron was talking to Kevin Love, frankly, he would tell him not to sign an extension in Cleveland if he got traded there. I think uh, LeBron would say, "Hey, listen, man, you go be a free agent next year and do what you got to do." Um, obviously he wants him to be there. Uh, and I think anybody giving Kevin Love objective advice, not talking as a, as a fan of the Cavs or a fan of the Timberwolves or a fan of the Lakers, they would tell him, no matter what happens this year, do not sign an extension. Do not pick up your option. Why would you give away your flexibility and power as we were just talking about? And so, um, I think even LeBron would have a tough, with a, with a straight face at least, would have a hard time Kevin Love, telling Kevin Love to do that. I just have a feeling, and I, you know, I have nothing substantial to base this on. I have a feeling Kevin Love winds up in Golden State. I think that's been a big game of poker from the get-go, and I think eventually Golden State will part with Clay Thompson. What do you think? Well, I think that people are looking at this backwards. Um, they're they're looking at Golden State and saying, "Well, Golden State's not willing to include Clay Thompson." They're looking at Cleveland and what are they going to do with Andrew Wiggins? That's not where the where the rubber meets the road in this deal. Where the rubber meets the road is within the Minnesota Timberwolves. It really comes down to the fact, what do they do with this guy? Do they honestly want to trade him or not? Um, and, you know, talking about losing a superstar, never recovering. The Wolves have never recovered from letting Kevin Garnett go. They have not made the playoffs again. So I can see what their 73-year-old owner, Glenn Taylor, was like, listen, we think we have the best team we've had since Garnett walked. Uh, we underachieved last year, but we're excited about what we're going to do this year. I can see him just saying, you know what? I'm not going to trade him because the last time I made a superstar trade, it didn't work out for me. I'd rather play it out. And so I really think this comes down to what the Timberwolves want to do with their own little private game of chicken and their belief that maybe they can turn it around this year. I really think what's actually on the table and the offers elsewhere is, is, is the backseat issue. Um, this is really going to be decided in the conscience of Glenn Taylor, the owner, and to a lesser extent, Flip Saunders. Those are the guys who are going to decide what to do with Kevin Love. And, and, and I know that Love is applying extreme pressure to them because he's tired of being there. He's tired of playing on a bad team. But who's to say if they come out and have a really good season, he won't change his mind? Um, remember, Kobe Bryant once said or at least made it known that he had played his last game as a Laker. I think that was about seven or nine years ago. So you just never know. And I think there's a, there's a reasonable belief 
in Minnesota that he could turn it around. And so that's where I'm watching. I'm watching the Wolves' actions. I'm not really watching what the Cavs, Warriors, or any mystery bidder like the Celtics might be doing. Well, I'm in Portland, and a year ago at this time, everyone was talking about LaMarcus Aldridge out of Portland, and the Blazers come out and have a really good year. They've got some nice pieces around him now, and now he's talking about signing a long-term extension to stay in Portland. So maybe it turns out the same way for Minnesota. Who knows? But they're not. But he's not signing the extension. So that's the thing. Like it all went beautifully for Portland this year, but he's not signing the extension. So what happens if it goes south on the Blazers this year? I don't think it will. I love their team. I love Lillard's future. But you know, it went good one year. It may go bad the next. And so you know, I know Lamarcus Aldridge has said all the right things, and um, I you know the rules are totally not in favor of the small markets and keeping players and. And, you know, this should be an example. Here's a Marcus Aldridge. If this was 2009 and not 2014, Aldridge would have already signed an extension. They would have had the press conference. Everybody would be happy. But he's not signing it. <laughs> so that's, you know, that, that's the nature of this NBA is that because everything is so fragile, it makes um, – it gives the superstars, the star players, so much more power. And so why would, would Aldridge give up his flexibility and power when he doesn't have to? And so – Here's a guy in Aldridge who is completely and fully happy, not willing to commit. And here's a guy, Kevin Love, who's not happy uh, and, and probably a little upset, wants to get out, who is not willing to commit. Either way, you got a guy not willing to commit. So that's the way the modern NBA is going, and that's one of the things that they're going to have to address in the next CBA for sure. So before I let you go, I know you've probably gotten this question a lot. You, you mentioned during this conversation that you live in New York. Are you going to be moving back to Ohio to – Cover LeBron more closely, or will you uh, commute? I don't know yet. Um, certainly, it's been talked about a lot. Um, it's really weird how many people care about where I live, and I'm not just saying <laughs> that. With you. Like, like when I when I moved to Miami, um, I got vilified in Cleveland. Like they ripped me on the radio. I had people heckling me uh, on the street in the like the two weeks before I actually left. I mean, it didn't help me that. ESPN announced my move in a press release. That wasn't very helpful. Right. I didn't understand why so many people care. I don't actually play. What I do has nothing to do with what goes on on the court. Um, and I got the same thing after uh, LeBron decided to go back to Cleveland. Um, uh, that, uh, you know, are you moving back? Are you moving back? Well, I mean, I'm going to cover LeBron heavily no matter where he plays. I mean, I've covered LeBron heavily living in New York the last two years. Most people probably didn't even know I'd moved to New York because I was in Miami so much. And um, and it's something that is very emblematic of Cleveland. I have a condo in Cleveland that I haven't been able to sell for four years, even though I've, <laughs> I've, I'm asking 40% less than I paid for it 12 years ago. Um, and um, so I have taken the condo off the market because I'm planning on spending a lot more time there. Um, but I do not know what I'm going to be doing. And honestly, if I didn't tell people what I was doing, I, they would probably all think I moved back to Cleveland because I'd be with the cat on the road and they'd see me in Cleveland on TV occasionally. And I could be living anywhere and people wouldn't know. So I think it's, I, I think it's kind of funny. I may like never tell anybody. I may just move to like another city um, that's not Cleveland or New York and wait to see how long people realize I don't actually live in Cleveland. That might be my little secret goal that I'll do and, and let people figure it out because nobody knows I live in New York now unless I tell them. You can move to Maui and cover LeBron from, from Maui. 
And uh, I would love to do that, but the flight's just a little bit too far. No, you know what? Seriously, I think far. the reason people care so much is because you do the best job of covering LeBron. You have an insight that no other reporter has because of your history with him. So I think you know part of it is people wanting to know, like, oh, you know, is Brian still going to be covering LeBron closely because he's done such a good job in the past? I will definitely still be covering LeBron closely. And you know that the Maui thing is a joke, but it's not actually that much of a joke because Chad Ford. I know, who, um, yeah. <laughs> who, um, uh, who covers the draft for us actually lives in Hawaii, on, um, on, on Oahu. And I actually, this, uh, this year, uh, I went to Maui, uh, not to Maui, but to, I went to Maui too, but I went to Hawaii for a vacation and I had uh, dinner with Chad near his house on the North shore of Oahu. And I totally get why he lives there. You know, you get, you get cable there. You can watch all the college players. You, then you can come to the mainland. They have airplanes. You know, you can come to the mainland and spend, you know, a few weeks or months. And then you can go back to Maui or back to Oahu when it's all over and be very happy. And so, if, trust me, if I could pull it off and I, and I had uh, my own G5 where I could fly around and nobody knew where I lived, I would. But I, I don't think I can. But um, no matter what happens, uh, trust me, my bosses in Bristol will have me. Uh, on LeBron's hip, providing as best coverage as I possibly can. Well, you do a great job. You did a great job with NBA Free Agency. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time to join us on Sports Business Radio. Again, follow Brian Windhorst at Windhorst ESPN on Twitter. Brian, best of luck to you, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR, powered by Postano, after this. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back and it's time to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks as always to tuning in. Thank you to our guest, Justin Garrity from Pistano. Really excited about working with them going forward on Sports Business Radio and our road show. Again, if you're interested in hosting a live edition of Sports Business Radio at your sports business program, you can email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. That's Brian with an I. Thanks to Brian Windhorst. Excellent insight from him, NBA ESPN insider. Windhorst ESPN is his Twitter handle. No one does it better when it comes to following LeBron than Brian Windhorst. So great insight from him. 
want to thank our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, and Doug Zanger. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to the iTunes section and type in Sports Business Radio, and you'll be able to find our podcast. You can subscribe, have it downloaded to your mobile device, so you get every edition of Sports Business Radio. We're also on apps like TuneIn, Stitcher, and Swell. So if you have one of those apps on your phone, you can also access our show on demand at any time. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger, powered by Postano. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With a goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503-701-2215.